You're listening to the Fervent Church Podcast, a church in the Austin area who exists so that people may know Jesus. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged, challenged, and strengthened in your relationship with Jesus today. For more teachings, information, or to support our ministry, please visit fervent.church. We pray you're blessed by the message. Today's going to be the last day in this series, and then next week we're going to get into Mark, and we're going to be in a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through Mark. It's 16 chapters. I expect it's going to take us somewhere around a year to get through it, so it's just going to be slow and steady. We're just, we're going to eat it up, dive in, see what's happening. But week one of our In the Beginning series, it was In the Beginning God. All things begin and end with God. God was forever. God was not created. It says, In the Beginning God... And then it says he created the heavens and the earth. God always was, always is, and forever will be. And that being said, I think it should just give us a tremendous peace, confidence in who God is when he says that like, hey, I'm going to be with you till the end of the age. When he's, when he's calling you to follow him, when he's telling you all these plans and things that you'll find in scripture, he's not trying to fool you. He's not trying to pull a quick one on you and, get, and, and deceive you. It's like he knows everything. And who better to trust than the God who is just outside of time, can see it all, has, has orchestrated it all. Scripture says that He's eternal, He's set apart, His ways are not our ways, that he is, His understanding is unsearchable. He knows it all. He has a plan. He's been doing this for a long time. And then what we saw was God created. He spoke and life happened. What an amazing thing. If we could just be there, if we could rewind the tapes of time and just see God speak and say, let there be light, and boom, the lights came on, right? It's like some of you, maybe you have like a smart house and you can speak. It's like, Alexa, turn the lights on. It's like God just spoke to himself, said, let there be light, boom, light happened. Heavens and earth were created. So he spoke, life happened. He filled the dark, formless void with light and life, and he's still doing this to this day filling dark, formless voids in our hearts and people with light and life, giving us purpose. Week two, we looked at in the beginning us. God created us, human beings, men and women, in his image. He said, let us make man in our image. What we learned through that study is he created us on purpose, with purpose. You weren't an accident. You weren't an accident. You might have been a surprise or an accident to your parents. Like, we didn't plan you. We only wanted one kid and we had two and that was you. Um, You know, God is like, I was not surprised. I made you on purpose. You were knit intricately inside your mother's womb is what scripture says. And so he made you on purpose. And so if you want, simply, if you want to know why you exist, know the one who made you. The one who can give you purpose because he made you on purpose. Week three, we looked at in the beginning sin, right? After week two, we ended that. It said that God looked at all that he had made and he said that it is very good. That's being humans, men and women um, included in that. But then something went wrong, right? You look at the world today and like I said last week, if we took out Genesis three and we try to look at the world or even look at scripture and make sense of it, we're like, what went wrong? The story was God created. He said it is very good. And then you skip forward to Genesis 4 and Cain and Abel are killing each other. And you skip forward to today and uh, it's pretty crazy out there, right? If you just watch the news a little bit, if you just go out there and just drive down the street, you can see all kinds of division and just different things going on. Something has gone wrong and that thing is sin. Sin, very simply, is doing what we should not do. We looked at Satan, Satan's tactics. Satan is our enemy. I was telling the team earlier today, it's like every weekend, every Sunday is like Super Bowl Sunday for us where we got to bring it all because Satan, he's going to bring it all. He's going to try to discourage. He's going to try to divide, distract, whatever he can do to try and stop God's word from going forth. And so we looked at some of Satan's tactics and here's a few of them. If you missed it, it was he questions God's word. He brings it to question. Did God actually say that? Did he really say love your neighbor as yourself? I mean... You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, he'll bring those things to question. He will, number two, deny God's word. He'll just flat out and deny it. No, you're not going to die if you eat of this. But what did God say? He said, no, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And Satan appeals to our flesh, and he appealed to Adam and Eve's flesh, and he said, God just doesn't want you to have it because you're going to be like God. You're going to know everything. God's holding out on you. And so then it says, when they saw that the 
the tree was good for food and that it was desired to make one wise, they ate of it. And Adam and Eve, they ate of the tree of good and evil. And for the first time, they brought sin into the world, doing what they shouldn't do, knowing the right thing to do and not doing what they should do, right? And they were separated. And that's really the biggest consequence of sin is death physically, right? We all know that in 60, 70, 80, 90 years of lifespan, we will probably die. I mean, we will die eventually. Maybe some of us will be 100 or more, but uh, um, we'll die physically. But we also, they ushered in death spiritually. And so we see this separation between God and man, which is exactly what Satan wanted to happen. And note in Genesis 3 that once they sin, once they eat of the fruit, Satan's gone. See, he's very quick to be your best friend and tell you what you want to hear. It's like, oh, you're not going to die. God's just holding out on you. He's got something really good. And in fact, you know, you should just take of it anyways because you're just going to be like God, right? And he just appeals to the flesh. And so once they bit of the apple, Satan's gone. Or maybe it's not an apple, the fruit. We all think it's an apple, right? Don't you just think that in your head? I think it's interesting, and this is just totally side note, but you've got an apple. You ever see apple probably with a bite out of it? I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Mark of the beast? Hopefully not. <laughs> um, anyways, totally side note, but I just thought it was interesting. I'm like, I don't know. If I created a company, probably wouldn't create it around that, but maybe they did it purposely. But now sin has been ushered in through Adam and Eve, and unfortunately, the truth is that we were and are born into sin into a sin-stained world. We cannot get away from it. And truth is, every one of us has sinned. Scripture says every single person has gone astray. Think about your life. I think if you're honest, you know that you've sinned. Maybe you're not as crazy as some people. You weren't the party lifestyle, but you were just the guy who was a little prideful, and like, hey, I'm good, and I got it all together, right? And pride, that's a sin. Maybe you didn't, weren't prideful, you weren't the party type, but you, you just told little lies, you know? It's like, that's sin. Lying is sin so every one of us have sinned in our life and again the consequence of sin is death and um and because of sin we live in a world that is dying i think that's again evident when you look at this world you can just i think to myself i don't know how much longer life can go on like this before somebody i mean war you know like the bible says in the end times there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and i'm just thinking like it could just be any day that some country decides to nuke another country i don't know like there's so much tension going on around here just look at that but there's so much um, chaos the world's dying and the reason why is because we live in a world that is separated from god a world that is separated from its maker this shouldn't have been the way it was supposed to be god gave them a choice they chose they chose death is really what they chose they chose themselves and now we are suffering the consequence well tonight week four our topic today is in the beginning jesus in the beginning jesus and so what we're going to hear of tonight is that god he, he made a way the only way is what Scripture says. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Jesus, through the Son. So God chose to make everything right and to give us a second chance. Because maybe tonight you're thinking this, and maybe you never heard the whole Adam and Eve thing, but even if you grew up in church, you're thinking, that's unfair. God, I wasn't here 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 years ago or 6 million years ago. However long it was, we don't know. It doesn't really matter, right? But we're like, that's not fair, Lord. I wouldn't eat of that fruit. Truth is, we probably would, but then the truth is, too, though, that God gives us our own chance. He says, okay, well, maybe it wasn't fair, but let me give you a choice now. Choose life through Jesus or choose death through the ways of the world. So we're going to learn about this tonight, the cure for sin, the only hope for humanity, Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen if you believe it, if you're with me? Amen, right? And so the Bible is all about Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. Maybe that's a surprise to you, maybe it's not. But have you ever really sat down and thought about this? The Bible is all about Jesus. Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament to New Testament, all about Jesus in some way, shape, or form. The Old Testament filled with prophecies, right? Things to come. It was like telling the future. That's what God did. See, God is outside of time, spoke to men back in the day, they wrote these things down hundreds and even in some instances thousands of years before the New Testament uh, happened. Um, and so these prophecies of what was to come, prophecies about the coming Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world, right? That's Jesus, as we will learn tonight. New Testament, 
filled with fulfillment of those prophecies of the coming Messiah and the Christ who is revealed as Jesus. Uh, maybe through your scripture studying, right, you've, uh, you've read through some of the Bible and you see these things and you're just like, how can it all be about Jesus though, right? One of my friends, I remember my pastor back home, Robert Furrow, he's teaching through Genesis. And I forget what chapter, uh, but it was one of the chapters that like, it, it was like some serious like X-rated sin, right? And that's even what he came up to me afterwards. He's like, dude, what? I, I didn't know that was in the Bible, man. Like that's some X-rated stuff right there. And I was just like, because he couldn't wrap his mind around it. Why is this here? Well, it's here because it's telling us how fallen, messed up, sinful this world is. And, it hope, and, and one, one reason it's there is so that we can relate. Where we're like, man, I'm messed up and sinful. I've done wrong things, thought wrong things too. And then the thing is, is Jesus relates with us, takes on our sin. See, it's like it's showing us that the whole world is sinful. It's like Genesis, the people there are not exempt all humanity is flawed in dealing with sin. Leviticus, maybe you read through that, you're like, what's up with all these laws? Like, this is jacked up, right? You read through the different prophets writing, speaking to people groups. There's so much more. Have you ever just wondered why? Why all these stories of sin? Why all these laws? Why all the prophets? Why all these books of the Bible? Well, the point is to point us to Jesus, our need for a Savior, all the examples of sin to show us that we're not the only ones struggling in sin. It's nothing new. All the laws in the Old Testament to show us that you can never keep them. However hard you try, you will fail. And when you fail, that is sin. Okay? And when you, re- when you read through Leviticus, anyone ever read through it? Yeah, you're like, ah, you know, I started the first chapter and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to skip ahead to something else because it's boring. It's boring because there's just so much rules and stuff. Like when you read the fine print, maybe some of you like that stuff. You get like some kind of contract to sign and then there's like two pages of fine print and you, you just love that. Like, see, for me, that's like, that's Leviticus. I don't know. I don't want to read it. Just give me the cliff notes, okay? I suck. I can never fulfill all this stuff. Okay, good. I got it. That's what the law was for, to show you your sin. And it was also there to show you how great God is and what his expectations are for you. Like, if you want to try to, to achieve heaven, which you can't, achieve perfectness and salvation, again, which you can't, it's like you've got to fulfill all the law. And what the law shows us is how deeply flawed we are and how set apart and perfect and holy God is. If you ever look through Leviticus and some of it where like they're building the temple, there's all like everything is so specific where it's like it was five cubics long this way. And it was because God wanted it a certain perfect way. Like he was OCD, if you will. God, that's because he's so perfect and holy and set apart. The laws show us that stuff. Um, why all the prophets? Well, it's to speak of the Messiah, the coming one who's to come. Um, and we're going to look at some of that tonight. And of course, the New Testament, it shows us of the life of Jesus, his disciples, followers, and how we should live our lives and what to expect to come, the book of Revelation. But the Bible's all about Jesus, and that's what I believe life is all about. Knowing Jesus, finding him, a relationship in, in a relationship with him, walking with him, worshiping him, living for him. And the I think the reason why God gave us the Bible, too, it's all about Jesus, but it's because the world is so deeply sinned and flawed, and we need hope. We need hope. I don't know what you guys think right now, but if you think COVID-19 is something bad, and we need to address it, and we need to find a cure right now, and we need to get that out to every single person on the planet Earth so we can stop this thing, I have to say it pales in comparison to sin, because we're already infected with sin. The mindset I think that we should have is not, oh man, you might be able to get COVID-19. It's like, it should be like, you might get COVID-19 and die not knowing Jesus, not having any hope. That's a more tragic thought to me because that's the real pandemic. Like if you die and face your maker and you don't know him or have a relationship with him, that is a huge concern for me because I'm like, I don't want you to face that. I don't want to face that. I want everything to be made right. And that's what God's trying to do through us knowing Jesus. And the greatest question I believe that, that the Bible ever asks, it comes from Jesus himself, and I believe Matthew 16, and he, he says, well, what are people saying about me? And, you know, all the disciples, they say, well, they say you're a prophet. They say you're a teacher. They say maybe you're Elijah. Maybe you're John the Baptist. Maybe you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets, right? And then Jesus says the most important question that any of us will ever answer. And Jesus says this, but who do you say? That I am. 
See, tonight it doesn't matter what I say for you, right? When you hearing me say Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, Jesus died for your sins on the cross, He wants to give you true abundant life in Him, eternal life, and you'll never perish, like that's true, but at the end of the day, when you go home, who do you say Jesus is? See, Peter answers the question. He says that, he says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the true living Son of God. And tonight, I, I just want you to have that question in the back of your head as we look at who Jesus is, who Scripture talks about. Who do you say that Jesus is? Last week we saw Adam and Eve, they had a choice, eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? That was sin. They were told not to do that. Or they could have ate of any other tree, including the tree of life. They could have ate of all of that, ate of the tree of life, lived forever in perfect harmony with God in the garden. Would have been amazing. But like I said earlier, just as Adam and Eve had a choice there in the garden, we have a choice tonight, life or death, Jesus or sin. Tonight we're going to look at a few prophecies pointing pointing towards the coming Messiah, Jesus, and we're going to look at John chapter 3 and him, um, Jesus, and what he says in some of his time here on earth. So let's pray and we will get into this. So God, Father, we come here and we just thank you for this time. We thank you for the time of worship. God, I pray that we had a moment with you, God, where we just recognize that you are holy that you're set apart and you're so far above us, Lord, and we don't understand you or what you do, but, Lord, we want to trust you. God, and I pray that you would change our hearts tonight, that we would trust you more, that our confidence would be in you and not in us, Lord, that our confidence would be in your Bible, in your word, in what you say, and not what we say, Lord. May we leave here tonight, and when we say, who do you say that I am, Lord, may we say that you are the Christ. You are, you are Lord you are the only Savior and the only hope for humanity. So God, teach us tonight, Lord. You are welcome here. Be our teacher, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Genesis chapter 3, we saw the enter of sin right into humanity. But with that, we saw God say something so subtle, yet so important. Genesis chapter 3, the third chapter of the Bible. Um, it's the first hint of the Messiah, and I think we'll have it on the screen perhaps, right? Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And he's speaking to the snake, next verse. He says, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So why is this interesting? Well, it's first off, Genesis chapter 3, like, hey, creation just happened. This is maybe a few days, a few weeks, a few months, maybe a few years down the road, but it's really early in creation, right? And what we see from our account, the third chapter of the Bible, we already have mention of Jesus, a coming Messiah. What we see here is God is speaking to the serpent. He says that I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and your offspring. And he says that he's going to bruise your head. Some translations say he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. What he's saying there is like Jesus is going to come of the woman, right? Eve, he's going to come through that. We'll see some other lines of lineage of who he will come through here tonight as well. But he's speaking God, the Father, Yahweh here, speaking of his coming Messiah, or his coming to earth through Jesus, the person of Jesus. And so he's saying he's going to crush your head, and you're going to bruise his heel. And what I love about that is just it's... it's um, it's a promise of the one who's to come already in the first little bit, right? Sin, and, sin is real. Satan is real. It's already on the scene. But here we get a promise of the one who's going to conquer sin and Satan. I don't believe this one will be on the screen, but Numbers chapter 21, write this down for homework. It's a great study. But what we see is Moses and the Israelites. They're going through the wilderness and one of the things that the Israelites love to do is complain. And I don't know, maybe some of you guys struggle with complaining, but I will say this, I'll warn you, like, woe to the complainers because it's not good. If you look at the Israelites, it's never good. And so they complain against God, and they come against God, and then God's like, essentially like, all right, and he sends fiery serpents to bite them, and many of them die. Isn't that crazy? Like, that's kind of jacked up, right? But it's like to get their attention, like, hey, I'm not cool with you, you complaining against me. I've been feeding you manna all day and night, quail even sometimes. I've been turning bad water into good water for you to drink. And then the people are just like, man, Lord, why'd you bring us out here to die? Like, I hate this place. This place is terrible. Take us back to Egypt. That's what we see over and over. But what's awesome here in Numbers 21, again, you should go read it for homework tonight or this week, is that God sends these serpents 
So they start to die, start to get bit. It's not cool. And so all the people are just like, like Moses, Moses, we repent. We repent of our attitudes, of our complaining, of our sinning. Just tell God to stop this. Thing is, he doesn't stop it, right? It's like the consequences will still come, but what he provides is a solution. So what he says, he says, make a fiery, like bronze serpent, put him up on a pole so that whoever would look on him, it'd be like me, like, all right, hey, I'm going to get this right here. I'm going to put a pole up here and making a, a serpent, putting it up there. And hey, if you've got bit by a serpent today, just look to the post, to the serpent on the pole, and you'll be healed. Most of you would be like, Pfft. That is the stupidest thing I ever heard. But if you got bit by a snake and you're like, I might die, you'd be like, I might try this whole look at the pole thing, right? You're on the ground, like holding your leg, like, I don't want no one to see this, but like, and then, then you might get healed. I don't know. But what I love about it, and that's, it's so interesting to any like people who work in the medical field, like what's the symbol for like medical stuff? It's a, it's a snake wrapped around a pole. If you ever look at it, it's just so interesting. That comes from scripture. It's amazing. But what that is, is it's just a foreshadowing of what's to come. Jesus hanging on the cross. If you would just look at him and believe in him, you'd be saved. He would heal you. But if you don't look at him and and believe in him, you will die in your sin. It's amazing. But other things that the Bible says, Isaiah 7, 14, um, this is a prophecy, specific prophecy about Jesus, the coming Messiah, the one who would save the world. It says, um, uh, Isaiah seven fourteen and it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Emmanuel means. So he's, this is prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. And so this is scripture speaking of who's to come. And he says that a virgin shall conceive, bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. It's amazing there. It's like speaking of what's to come. Isaiah 9, chapter, or yeah, chapter 9, verse 2 and 3 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And it's interesting because Jesus actually quotes that, and I think it's Matthew chapter 4 says that I've come here so that it might be said that a great light has shone here. But then it talks about how uh, the people didn't believe which may that never be said of us, that Jesus be like, I came into your life and I brought a great light and I was tugging on your hearts, I was calling to you, all you had to do was look at me, but you didn't. May that never be said. Isaiah 9, verse 6 goes on, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I love that last part. It's like the zeal, the passion, the, the drive of the Lord. He's like, I love this. I want to save my people. He's like the zeal, the passion, the fervency, fervor, if you will. It's like of the Lord. He's like, I'm going to do it. You can bet your money on that, and he does. Other scriptures, right, uh, prophecies, I don't believe this is in there, so don't worry too much, Caleb, but the, that the Messiah would come, right? We saw Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, be born of a virgin. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says he'll be born in Bethlehem. Genesis 12, 3 says of the line of Abraham, of the line of David, this is 2 Samuel chapter 7, that he would come out of Egypt. This is uh, Hosea 11, verse 1, says out of Egypt I've called my son. That he, he would, other prophecies that he would heal the sick, open the eyes of the blind, that he would be pierced for our transgressions and killed for our sin. That's Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, which we'll look at here in a little bit. But man, there's so much prophecy of Jesus. And it's just amazing. And again, if the whole Bible is about Jesus, it makes sense. Like, how is it so perfect? How are these things fulfilled to a T thousands and hundreds of years later, right? It's because it's all about Jesus. Because God's been telling the same story since Genesis through Revelation. Right? You watch a TV show and you just hop in the middle. You're like, how are all these things possible? It's like, well, because they're telling one story. It's not, not, not too far-fetched. God's the author of this thing. Isaiah chapter 52. We're going to get to John 3 eventually sometime. Um, so don't worry. But Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13. Maybe. 
says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. And this is speaking of Jesus. says, As many were astonished at, at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of, a children, of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has, been, has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Uh, Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and speaking of Jesus, and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look to him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hid, hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. I mean, do you guys know this about like the Jewish people of these, this day? They still await a Savior, a Messiah. They saw Jesus, they heard about him, and they're like, that surely can't be the Messiah. That man... Uh, they despised him. We've despised him. Let's not make any mistake and let's not leave ourselves out of this thing. But Jesus was beat for our sins. He goes on, I, verse 4 of Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and called, carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And check this out, verse 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And so what it's saying in Scripture, Isaiah 53, hundreds of years before Jesus, is that there will be a Messiah who will come. Everybody's going to flee from him, go their own way like sheep. They're not going to pay any mind to God in the flesh. But then it says, but he is going to bear their iniquity, take on their sins anyway. Man, how crazy is that? Think of someone in your life, maybe. Someone who's stabbed you in the back, metaphorically speaking, of course. Uh, would, you, would you die for them? You take two of your friends. Maybe they, they uh, conspired together to stab you in the back. Would you die for both of them? Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. Man, He sees every single person who has ever created since Adam all the way till the end, till He wraps it up, and He says, I'm going to take all that sin, all that despising me, all that going astray. He says, I love them so much, I'm going to die for them and take their iniquity upon myself. Psalm 22, I just want to read this, and then we'll get to John. If you have your Bibles, just please look at this. Psalm 22 is amazing. I told my grandpa this one time. I thought my grandpa knew everything, you know what I mean? Like, you talk to your grandpa, you're like, Grandpa, come on, you know everything. Psalm 22 is pretty cool. He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, Psalm 22, Grandpa. Like, it talks about Jesus being hung on the cross almost like, almost as if this was the script that, went, that they went with. Like, if this was a play, it's like Psalm 22 is like the script of Jesus on the cross. It starts out, verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That should sound familiar. If you know the, the story of Jesus, when he is on the cross, he screams out, my God, my God, uh, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Verse 2, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy. Yet you are holy and enthroned on the praises of Israel. And just remember, it's like Jesus prayed, said, Lord, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, yet your will be done. So he's crying out, why have you forsaken me? Yet you are holy. Verse 4, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. Verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man. It's said that back then that there's this worm that they would crush up to actually make red dye. Um, and that's how they would dye their clothes red is through this this whatever, that they'd crush this worm. And so when he says, I'm a worm, he's like, I'm, I'm beaten. I'm red. I'm bleeding. I look more like this worm that we use for this red dye than a man. He says, I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by all the people. All who seek me mock me. And remember, when Jesus on the cross, people would come down, they would spit on him, they would mock him and say, if you are God, come off the cross. 
They'd mock him. So again, this is hundreds of years before this happens. He says, all who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. This is what people said. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Yet you are the are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Bulls would speak of, uh, of Romans, like citizens. Um, we call it Gentiles. Many bulls encompass me. There's a lot of Roman guards around and Gentile people watching, right? They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joints. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. And just remember again on the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. He's saying, I'm dried up. I'm melted. I'm poured out. And he says these last couple of verses, verse 16, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. Remember, Jesus was crucified and there was a thief on his right and on his left. He's encompassed by evildoers. They have pierced my hands and feet. Crucifixion. I can count all my bones. They didn't break any bones. And if you know about Jesus, when he was hung on the cross, um, many times people would be hung and crucified. And then like tomorrow's the Sabbath day and they're like, oh man, we got to get this dude off of here. So what they would do is they would break the dude's legs. I don't know with what, I would just imagine some kind of bat type of thing. Break his legs so now he's hanging there, can't come up. And really how you die from crucifixion um, is suffocation. You can't breathe. So if you, if you have your legs there, you can push up, get a breath. As much as it hurts, I'm sure they still would do it, right? It's like you got to breathe. And then they would come back down for a while while they last. If you break your legs, you can't do that. And so it expedite the speed the the death process there but jesus he he already died and they didn't have to break any of his bones and so what he's saying is like, i can count all my bones they stare at me and gloat over me they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots and again that's what happened there it's like exactly what happened jesus on the cross and they're they're casting lots making bets for his his clothes that he left and just crazy stuff. Again, Psalm 22, speaking of Jesus. The Bible's all about Jesus because that's what life's all about. And we need to find life in him and uh, we need to live with him. But tonight's text, John three sixteen. I know you guys are like, what? Tonight's text? Yes, we're going to get into this. Don't worry. I'm going to try and, try and uh, keep this short and sweet. But here in John chapter 3, Jesus has come, the Messiah has come. John, I think it's chapter 1, verse 14, says the Word came and took on flesh and dwelt among us. That was Jesus, right? Um, Jesus came, took on flesh, dwelt among us. Here in John chapter 3, He is dwelling with people. God in the flesh, um, speaking. So we see Jesus come here um, and talks about being born again. And so I just hope that you would just just let God speak to you through this. Uh, John chapter 3, Verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees, Pharisees, religious leaders, man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and I think you should note that. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. A few things that we see just real quick is Nicodemus, a man of the Pharisees. He's a religious man. He probably knows a lot, right? And, and later, Jesus actually says to him, he says, you are a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? So it's just interesting that religious people, as, as close to God as they may seem, they don't have it all together. And you can know a lot about God, and this is what we'll see tonight, you can know a lot about him and yet not know him. See, some of you might know my name's Nick here tonight, and you might know that about me. Now you do if you didn't, but you don't know me. Some of you know me a little more than the other people, but you don't know me like I know me, right? And that's how God is like, okay, cool, you've heard of me. You've heard of Jesus. Well, the problem is, is if you don't know him intimately in a relationship, it's like, then, then you really don't know him. Knowing about Jesus doesn't qualify you for eternal life. Knowing him does. So Nicodemus is just showing us he knows a lot, but he doesn't know it all, and he doesn't know the most important thing. Verse 3, 
Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I think you need to underline that or just take note of that at least because a lot of people will say, you don't need to be born again and they'll kind of refute this stuff. But it's like right here, plain as day, in, in Scripture, Jesus, God in the flesh, is saying, unless you are born again, you shall never enter the kingdom of God. It's a pretty big deal. If life on this earth is 80, 90 years, and then afterwards we're like, okay, well, what's going to happen next? It's like, well, Jesus is saying, if you're not born again, you ain't going to see what's next. At least not how you should, anyways. It's going to be an eternity of separation from God, just like even here, but amplified. But if you know God and you're born again, it's like it's going to be an eternity with God. Everything made right. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? It's a good question, I guess, right? He's a man, he's there, he's like, Jesus like, hey, you got to be born again. He's like, born again, what? Dude, I've already been born once. I'm a grown man, Jesus, come on, dude, for real. Like, do I need to lay it out for you, Jesus? So how can a man be born when he is old? He says, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And obviously, that's a no. Um, but what this shows us is that Nicodemus doesn't understand Again, he might know a lot about God and Scripture and prophecy, but he doesn't know God. He doesn't know Jesus. Verse 5, going on, it says, Jesus answered him. And, this, and I love this. Like, when you ask a question of Jesus, he replies. You know that sometimes when in life you're like, ah, I'm just too sinful, I'm too, too far from God. He doesn't want to talk to me. No, he does. If you just say, God, you help me out here, he's going to bring you what you need. It might not be what you want to hear, but he's going to bring you what you need. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So real quick, what does water mean? And some of you might be thinking, well, maybe baptism. And I would say, I I don't believe that he's speaking of baptism here. I don't think Jesus is saying, you must be baptized and then be born of the Spirit to enter heaven because I mean if that were so what about the thief on the cross the thief on the cross with Jesus he he he's he um one thief is mocking him and then the other thief is like ah I think he's actually who he says he is you know and he's like like Jesus remember me when you enter heaven and then Jesus says to him today you will be with me in paradise so so if baptism by water water were necessary how'd that happen Jesus is like all of a sudden like, hey, you'll be with me in paradise and hold on, I'm going to make a rainstorm come over here real quick and baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now you're good, man. Let's go. You know, it wasn't like that. Baptism is not a necessity. It's something you should do. I will definitely say that because it says what, in Acts, they asked Peter, well, what do we do now? We're, we're sinners. We messed up. And Peter says, well, repent and be baptized. It's something you should do if you can, but I believe what uh, Jesus is saying is being born of water, just physically speaking. And congratulations to everybody in this room that you have completed step one. You've been born. You're here. If you're alive and breathing, you have been born of water physically, but what he says in addition to that is if you want to live forever, be born again. You've got to be born a second time, and he's saying spiritually. You've got to let the Holy Spirit do something in you. And so when you accept Jesus into your life, when you turn and look to the cross and you believe in him like the serpent snake uh, illustration with Moses, it's like something happens where you say, I don't know how it's possible for a sinner like me to become righteous and made clean like he says I will, but I'm going to look and I'm going to believe. And then what he starts to do is he will send his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit, the scripture says, will make a new heart in you, new desires. Uh, He'll give you a life with his presence, with joy. You'll get to experience his power and just a true abundant life as he desires. Let me just ask those of you who are Christians, like life before God, were your desires not a little bit different than they are now? Like I know for me, like in high school, my thing was like I want to be an auto mechanic or something like that. That's those, that was my desire. Like I had somewhat pure motives. I was like, it's a good job. It'll, everybody needs their car fixed, you know, so I'll always have a job forever. Um, but as I, as the Lord pursued me, really, brought me to a halt, like those dreams started to fade away. 
didn't really care so much about that. I love cards and I love working on them. But then God started to stir up a new desire in me. As I gave my life to the Lord, I said, all right, Lord, I'm yours. What do you want to do with a wretch like me, man? What do you want to do? And then all of a sudden he starts to put on my mind, instead of like going to college for automotive stuff, I started getting this desire to go to college for Bible, um, Bible college. See, God will stir up new desires in you. It says in Scripture that he will give you the desires of your heart. I feel like that's post-Holy Spirit. You understand that? People will try to twist that and say, but God's going to give me the desires of my heart, and I just really want $100 million, and, you know, and so won't he just give that to me? No. He's going to give you the desires of your new heart that he's going to work in you through the working of the Holy Spirit. And so he's like, you've got to be born of the Spirit. Otherwise, you're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven. See, to begin with Jesus, a new beginning, in the beginning, you've got to put an end to your old self. Your old life, your old desires, the, the old you as you know it. And again, let Jesus create in you new pursuits, desires, goals. And then, uh, then your, your sinful tendencies will start to fade away. He'll still eat at you from time to time. You'll still trip up and fall. I will admit that. So don't expect perfection. But there, there'll be a, a new pursuit. New life born of the Spirit. He goes on here, he says, uh, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And he goes on, he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The flesh, uh, as appealing as it may be at times, won't last. He's like, that which is born of the flesh, either that being people or the things that those people create, which could be money, a great career, a great family. It's like that which is born of the flesh is of flesh, and it's going to die. It's going to fade away. It will not last forever. But he says that which is born of the Spirit, he's like, is his Spirit. And, and it actually has this eternal assurance to it. And so he, he goes on, verse um, 7, he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. I mean, he's probably looking at Nicodemus, and Nicodemus probably looks real confused right about now. Like, wait a second, I went to college for, for Old Testament prophecy, Jesus, and you just, you're blowing my mind right now. This is crazy talk. And so he's like, do not marvel that I say that you must be born again. Jesus is like, calm down, dude. Don't, don't get so twisted up. And he says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And he says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And what he's kind of just saying there is like the wind does what it wants there. It's like, and you know that it's real. And he's like, the Spirit is going to do what it wants. It's like, it, it's real and you can't control. Like nobody knows where it goes or how it's, it works. But um, that is how it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? How can these things be? Again, he's just mind-blown right now, but you've got to love his honesty. And I've got to encourage you, be honest with Jesus. Just, Lord, how can this be? If you're reading his word, you're studying scripture, and you're like in Revelation chapter 4 or 5 or 6 or 7 or any chapter in Revelation, you're like, Lord, what does this mean? Like, he might not give you the full picture, but he'll give you a little bit of peace that you can rest. And like, okay, I, I get it a little bit. And that you're bigger than me, God, and that your understanding is unsearchable, and so I can, I'm cool with that. Anyway, sorry, that was a tangent. How can these things be? An honest question. Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Are you the teacher of Israel, and you can't understand these? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you, Nicodemus, teacher of Israel, do not receive our testimony. Jesus is like, hey, we're, we're out here talking about everything that we're doing. We're so open and public with our ministry. Like, there's no question of what we're about right now. And he's like, but you see it, you hear it, and you don't receive it. You, you hear it, you don't receive it. In verse 12, he says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not, do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Isn't that crazy? That's a, such a great thing. Some of us will cry out to God, we want to know more about heavenly things. And God's like, I just need to give you the basics first. If you can't just repent and believe in me as Jesus, God Almighty, the Savior who came to die for your sins, um, then we really can't go anywhere else. We've got to cross that platform. You've got to be born of the Spirit if we want to start talking spiritually. 
And so he's like, how can you, how, how can you be the teacher of Israel? And how are you going to believe? How do you want me to tell you heavenly things when you don't even believe the earthly things? Verse 13, Jesus goes on. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And he's speaking of himself. And verse 14, check this out. And Moses, or, and as Moses lifted up the servant, serpent in the wilderness, this is Numbers chapter 21, remember? He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. May have eternal life. Jesus got to be lifted up. Whoever looks to him and believes in him will be saved. In John 3, 16, man, this is probably the most memorized, popular verse in the whole Bible, but probably equally the most rejected verse in the whole Bible. He says, for God so loved the world, so loved the world. The word love there is agape, like it's committed, unconditional. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you will do, God will love you. All right? You're not going to find anybody like that in your life. You'll find people who are pretty close to that, where you got your homeboy. You're like, we're boys for life. It don't matter what he does, what he says. We're homies. Ride together, die together. Right? You might have that, but it's not the same. There's a, there's a tipping point. And Jesus is like, God is like, I love you so much. And I know everything that you've done and everything that you will do. And he is committed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus. And just wrap your minds around that for a moment. So loved any, anybody. If you're God and you have one son, would you give your son for this messed up, twisted world? I have one son, and I, I don't think I would give him for anybody. I, I, I don't know. Call it selfish. Call it sinful. I don't know. But I'm just like, God, I can't understand that kind of love and commitment. And God's like, I love you so much that I'm going to give my son that he gave his only son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, as we know, to set the example of how to live, how to make disciples, how to love and forgive people. He gave his son to die on a cross. Again, that's the part where I'm like, I'm cool with him living, but to die? Send my son to die? He sent them, him to die on a cross, fulfilling scripture, atoning for our sins once and for all. He sent his son to be buried in a grave for three days. And he sent his son, though, knowing this, to rise again on the third day, giving the promise of eternal life. And he sent his son to ascend back into heaven where he is today making a place for you and I. So he says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him. Now, word whoever, do a little word study if you want. It means whoever. It means all. I believe it's the word pas, P-A-S, or P-A-Z. I don't know how it's in the Greek, but whoever everybody, all, everything. That's religious people. That's messed up, worldly, sinful people, drug addicts, prostitutes, tax collectors, prideful people, hurting people, lonely people, wealthy people, poor people, everybody, whoever. Not those who are a little bit better than everybody else, those people. No, whoever, you and me. Whoever believes in Jesus, and he goes on and says, shall not perish, but have eternal life. To be born of the Spirit means to believe in Jesus. To be born of the Spirit means to turn to Jesus, turn from your sins, turn from yourself, be born of the Spirit, and you will have eternal life. It's that simple, guys. Christianity is not some crazy quadratic formula it's more of like a, hey, like you plus Jesus equals eternal life kind of thing. Like it's more of that than like this quadratic equation. Well, I got to be good. I got to pray seven times a day. I need to do this. I need to do the other thing. No, that's not it at all. It's repent, which it literally just means if you're going this way, repent. I'm going to turn. And it says believe in Jesus. Like the people in, in um, Numbers 21, if they would have just repented, if they would have just turned from this snake-bitten, sin-infested world reality that they're living in and turn and look at the post with the serpent on it, they would have been healed. And just like that, you and I, if we would just turn from our ways and look and believe in Jesus, as crazy as it may sound, and it doesn't mean that you know it all, right? 
doesn't mean that you have it all figured out. I, I think some people want to put the pieces together. I need to understand Jesus. What is his motive? What is his, what is his uh, MO for my life? And once I figure all that out, I might give my life to Jesus. No, you just need to give it, your life to him. Because he's got such a bigger plan that it, he's not going to let you in on it until you're in on it. So he says, whoever believes will have eternal life. In verse 17, We'll wrap this up here shortly. Verse 17, uh, he goes on and he says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And that's just a misconception in the world. Is they think God sent Jesus and he just wants to, to condemn me. God just try, He's out to get me. You ever heard anybody like that? One of my friends said that actually a couple weeks ago in Tucson. I said, Nick, I feel like, like God is just out to get me. Like, and I'm like, he's not out to hurt you. He's out there to save you. He didn't come to make your life worse. He came to give you eternal life, like real life, actually. Right? So he says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn you, but in order that the world might be saved through, uh, through him. Saved of sin, saved of death, punishment, judgment, right? God came to say, sent Jesus to give us a second chance, essentially. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. If you believe in Jesus today, can I just say this, that if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not condemned. It doesn't matter what you thought or you did yesterday. Your sins are covered. Do you believe that? I know you might struggle with condemnation, and that's self-condemnation. That's yourself bringing yourself down. But the truth is, if you believe in Jesus Christ, Romans, I think, chapter 8, verse 1 says, For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan wants, to think, wants you to think that you're condemned, you're doomed to hell. See, you can't live the life uh, living after Jesus. You can't do it. You're not good enough. Just give up. And the, the truth of the matter is, I know I'm weak. I know I can't do it. That's why I need Jesus. And there's no condemnation because Jesus loves me just like he loves a child, right, who's learning to walk. They might fall down, but Jesus is like, get back up. We're going somewhere. Scripture says the righteous man falls seven times, yet he gets up again. There's no condemnation for those of you, those of us who are in Christ Jesus. He says, but whoever does not believe, and understand this, whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the Holy Son of God. See, like if you're a teacher in a classroom and you say, hey, this is the answer for the test right here. It's Jesus. And then for someone to give you any other answer and say, no, I don't like Jesus. I'm going to give you something else. It's like, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. This was the answer that we were looking for. So any other answer you have on your sheet today, right, if you've ever been in like, any type of teaching type of situation, like anything else besides this will not be accepted today in class, right? And so that's the thing. Everyone wants to fill that void, that, that gap, and say anything else, right? It's like, well, but my career is going to give me life. My wealth is going to give me life. My wife, my spouse is going to give me life relationships, right? It's like, but anything besides Jesus in there, you're condemned already. You're wrong. And condemned, really. I mean, the loving thing for me to tell you is that apart from Jesus, we are headed to hell. We're headed to an eternity separated from God. You think right now is bad. I promise you it gets worse for the non-believer. It's been said of someone is that, that here on earth, that this is as close to hell as the Christian will ever get, but this is as close to heaven as those who don't believe in Jesus will ever get. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're condemned already. There is no middle ground. And again, you can be undecided today, but I, my hope, my heart's desire is that you would take this into consideration. I, this is something that sounds kind of serious. Maybe I should look more into it. Please do. Make a decision. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. Like Choose life and live. And I hope that you would come to that conclusion. He says, for whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. It has come. Jesus has come into the world. Tonight, into your and my life, Jesus is speaking through his word. The light has come. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. And that makes sense, right? When we're like sinning and we messed up and stuff, like we kind of hide away from those people who like make us feel convicted. 
Most of the time it's like church people, right? Like, oh, I don't want to see him. I love you, man, but I can't see you right now, man. You're going to ask me how I'm doing. And then I'm going to have to tell you how I'm really doing. And really, I'm struggling with sin. And I don't want you to know that. Right? So then we hide in darkness because we don't want our deeds to be exposed. Because it feels better. It's easier if we're just honest. Just because it's easier doesn't mean it's better, though. And see, he goes on, he says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light. It doesn't mean that whoever is perfect comes to the light. It's like whoever does what is true, like whoever has integrity, it's like, hey, I messed up. This is my fault, and I'm going to bring it to the light, and I'm going to own up to it. Like, those are, I don't know, I could go on a tangent about that, but just integrity, right? Like doing what's right, even if you did something wrong, just saying, hey, I, I messed up, I blew it, you bring it to the light. Like if you're that type of worker, like that's the kind of person a boss wants to have, someone who just owns up to it. It's like, oh man, you didn't even have to tell me all that. It's like, but since you did, man, I trust you now because you just outed yourself, right? Like you're going to tell me of these things. And just, he says, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And I love that. Carried out in God. It's not us. Anything good that comes from us, it, ain't, it isn't me. It's the Holy Spirit. It's evidence that the Holy Spirit is in me, that I have been born of the Spirit. So if something happens today, all glory, honor, and praise goes to Jesus. Not because Nick gave some amazing sermon. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And same in your life. You do something good, and, and you're out, out there living in the light. It's so that people may see that you've been carried out in God. People are like, why are you so nice? Because I'm carried out in God. The Holy Spirit's in me. I've been born again. Why, why are you so loving? Because the Holy Spirit is living inside of me. Carried out in God. Carried out in God. As we close tonight... I mean, I want you to know, and we, we, we've hit this, but that God loves you. Yahweh Elohim loves you. Jesus, the Son, uh, part of the Trinity, He came to die for you. He knew what He was doing. He came to die for you. He came to rise for you. And again, He's making a place for you in heaven today. And, and He will come again. If Jesus did these things, if he died for you, like that's the hardest part, I feel like, of the whole story, right? You read the rest of it, it's just Jesus' victory. It's just Jesus coming back for his kids. It's just Jesus make, like reigning and ruling for eternity, right? It's like if Jesus died for you and he went through the worst pain, the worst suffering, taking on sin, like don't you think that he's going to do the exciting part? You know what I mean? It's like you don't go through a bunch of hard work and stuff and someone's like, hey, after all this hard work, we're going to have an awesome party and celebrate all that was done. And then you're like, you go through all the hard work and then you just skip out on the party. I mean, maybe you do if you're like a, a, someone who doesn't like parties and socially awkward or something. But it's like, no, man, I worked so hard so I could get that. And if God kept his word, the hardest part, and he's going to keep it. He's going to keep it. He's going to come again. Um, a few things I want to read here at the end. If you got your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Or if you got your phone or something. Um, I believe it'll be on the screen too, but this is... I want to read some scripture just to end out today's sermon. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain." On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 
whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Verse 12, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. For are we... Or we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people more, most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive." Christ has died, Christ has risen, therefore we have hope, we have forgiveness, we have salvation made available to us. Luke 9, 23, do we have this one on the screen by chance? Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? See, Jesus says that you've got to deny yourself. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. In a sense, kill your flesh. Whatever you were doing before, forget it. Let God give you new pursuits, new desires. And he says, and follow Jesus. And the last thing that Scripture I want to hit is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. He says, choose life. And how do you do that? You choose life by choosing Jesus, by knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, and uh, just learning to walk in Jesus. Jesus brings life, amen? amen? And only he brings true abundant life. So what I want to do right now is we're going to take communion. You can stay seated. I'm going to call my wife up. She's going to play a little guitar. I'm just going to tell you, talk to you a little bit about what communion is. But really, I want you to take this time to, to commune with the Lord. To meet with the Lord is what that kind of means, but really what I want you to do is to remember the Lord. Again, we're going to pass these out and we'll just kind of let it go. And if you don't want to take of it, that's totally fine. Just pass the plate on to the next person and take them of it. There's a little cracker in the top thing you, you take off. I'll warn you, it's not very great, but it's gluten-free. Um, and then, then there's juice in the, the bottom. But what I love about it um, is it's unleavened bread. And so unleavened bread is something... Uh, special and, and interesting because there's no leaven in it. There's nothing bad. And see, Jesus says that a little yeast, a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. It's like a little bit of sin will ruin it all. But Jesus was perfect. So as we take of the, the cracker here, what that speaks of is Jesus' perfect life, that he lived for you and I. He had no blemish. He didn't mess up. He lived the law to a T. And so when we take of the bread, we remember that. That's us saying, Lord, I, I believe I might not understand it all. I don't know how you did it, but I'm saying that I believe it. So that's the, the bread. And then underneath is the juice. It's, a, it's grape juice, the fruit of the vine. And what that is, it's a picture it's to, to, of us remembering Jesus' blood. His blood that was shed for us on the cross. His life that was given so that we might be forgiven. See, Scripture says that He became sin who knew no sin. Jesus had no sin, yet he took it all on. But it says this, and this is the best part, I think, is 
so that we might become his righteousness. So when we take of the fruit of the, the vine, the grape juice, we're saying, Jesus, I believe in your death, your burial, your resurrection. I remember it. Uh, right? We weren't there, but I recalled Scripture to mind all this, that you so loved me, that you died for me, and if I would just believe in you, I'll have eternal life. And so you take of the juice and you just say, God, I I'm here. I love you. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. You remember. Maybe you've never taken communion before. Maybe, you've, maybe you're not even like a, sure if you want to be a Christian yet. Well, tonight, you can be. And I want to invite you that as we're passing this out, as the little plate comes by, it's like if you want to do that and it's in a subtle way, you just take of one of those cups there. And tonight could be the first night that you take communion with us. And it'd be the first way that you start off your walk with, Lord, with the Lord Jesus. So I want to invite you to do that. But if you are not a Christian and you don't believe in Jesus, just let it pass. And there is no judgment here. That's totally fine. We've been, I think we've all been there before, but... What I want to do is I want to pray. My wife will uh, lead us in worship, but I just want to encourage you. You don't need to, to try and sing along. You don't need to do anything, but just be in the presence of the Lord. And just, just remember Him. And as she's playing, just take the bread yourself as you feel led. Drink the juice yourself as you feel led. I'm not going to come up here and lead us through that, okay? This is a personal thing that I want you to do with the Lord, okay? So, um, Stay seated. Let me just pray and we'll get into some worship. So, Father, as we enter into this time of communion, we, we want to remember, God, what it is that you did, what you've done, what you want to do, Lord, and, and that you did it for us. So, God, bless this time, Lord. Meet us here now. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon each and every person, man, woman, and child in this building, God, and help us to have an intimate time of communion as we take of these elements, Lord, doing what you said, to take of it until your return. God, we believe you're coming back, but we look back on what you've done. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.